Let us pray. God, as we walk through the world each day, we see many self-centered visions of life. We are tempted to do everything for short-term gain and to give no thought to eternal glory. We ask you, O Lord, to give us the courage to live by your grand vision and not the small visions of this world. Keep our hearts ever focused on Christ, the one that revealed yourself to the world. Our scripture this morning comes from Matthew 6:33 and Matthew 28:16 through 20. Instead, desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near and spoke to them. I've received all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. This is the word of God for the people of God. It has been said that if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. Anybody heard that saying before? Yes. There's a deep truth in it, probably deeper than we realize. It is true that whether we choose it or not, we will all give our lives to something. There will be some concern, some vision that drives us. The great thing about humans is that we can choose what our master will be, but whether that choice is conscious or unconscious, we will serve something. It could be career, it could be family, it could be a quest for power or money, that you will serve somebody. I was at a training recently for pastors, and, and it was led by this wonderful second career pastor. Um, and before, in her, in her previous life, as she would say, she was a pretty high-powered executive, and she worked for several people, but the longest and the last was for Frito-Lay. And so she did all kinds of trainings, and she had the great bonus package and the salary and the retirement that went with it. And so she often gets this question, Why would you walk away from all of that to go to seminary and into ministry and make, ooh, significantly less than Frito-Lay? And she said, you know, it's a funny thing. I've been driven all of my life to be the very best at whatever I did. But I looked up one day and realized I had given my life to potato chips. You're gonna give your life to something. But what what she pointed out for me was that you better make it something worthy of the gift you're giving. Jake, this is not working. Worthy of the gift that you're giving. 
That's a little bit of what we're talking about today. Over the past couple of weeks, we've really talked about how generosity can be a check on our heart and who we are. We've talked about how it's important to be a community of faith and the kind of life and discipleship that forms in us. But today, as we stand with the witness of these saints, I wanna talk about what the vision is for the future. What is the hope of our heart as a community? What are we asking you to give your life to? Here it is. Our scripture sets out a pretty high bar for what a worthy goal of your life is. It says, desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This comes from Matthew 6. It's kind of in the middle of the Sermon of the Mount. That's really what our scriptures are today. They are the bookends of Matthew's gospel, the first declaration and the final promise. This Sermon of the Mount for Matthew serves as the opening act for all of Jesus' public ministry. Before this, there was the baptism and the temptation. This is the great presentation of what he will be about. It is, in some ways, Jesus' casting of a vision for the kingdom of God, both what it will be in its entirety, but also what it means to live in the kingdom of God as a present reality, what it's going to mean over the next few years for his disciples, the kind of life that will be expected of them. So it is, in turn, the kind of life that is expected of us. He says there'll be a lot of things that compete for your attention. If you've been worshiping with us at Chapelwood, you know that we've read the, the part right before this a couple of times now in the last few months. It keeps popping up, this don't worry about your life, about what you will eat and what you will drink. You heard LM talk to the kids about it. Don't worry about those things because the first desire of your heart is to seek the kingdom of God. I think this first desire, a desire for the kingdom is becoming more and more and more important. I think for many of us, even up through my age, when we were children, we lived in the kind of culture that kind of shared values with the church. Is that fair? Fair to say that, that you knew your neighbors and that you treated them like neighbors? that maybe the Ten Commandments were well-known in your house, or at least the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto yourself. This was the culture in which we lived. But we know that that is changing. In fact, it's changing pretty rapidly. There's been several studies done lately on what the church looks like in the U.S., and that is very tiny print, so I will read it for you. It says, um, right now, this day, the U.S. is the third largest unchurched nation in the world, which are only behind China and India. We know that today, in this weekend, about 18.7%, not even 20% of the population will be in church, in some religious community, 
today. Average attendance for a church is 75 on a weekend. Any of you ever feel like we're a small church? Are we a small church? Mm -mm. Average church attendance is 75, and 90% of churches in the U.S. have plateaued or are in decline when we measure them by worship attendance. We know the culture around us is no longer assumes church as a weekly part of life. We can no longer safely say that what you hear in here is what you hear out there. To seek the kingdom of God is increasingly becoming a counter-cultural vision for your life. We know that um, about 43% of Americans do not attend church at all. They are what we would call unchurched, that's Adam Hamilton's word, but actually that word lies to you a little bit, because unchurched would seem to imply that they have never had a relationship with Jesus or a faith community, and that's only true for 10% of them. 33% of the population had a church home at some point. Many of them will still claim Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but they no longer participate in a community that drives them to seek the kingdom of God in their daily life. They no longer participate in a community that forms the kind of values that we talked about last week or upholds them in the midst of their crisis. They no longer participate in a faith community that calls them beyond their own concerns. The culture around us is changing, and it is changing at an increasing speed. And I don't think any of that is news to anyone in this room. I think you've felt it, yeah? Every time the the news is a little nastier, every time you hear someone just be mean in the grocery store when they don't have to be, every time you hear about children or widows who struggle more than it seems like they used to, do you ever wonder why? Does it ever feel like the world is getting a little colder, a little darker? It's fair. I think we have felt this change as it has come. But here's the funny thing that we know. We know that it's a change happening mostly in adults. People ask me why we set out to raise a generation in faith. Faith, Faced with all of those statistics about how adults attend church and how many adults have fallen away from church, why did we choose to focus on children and on youth? And it's because when they're children and they're youth, the studies say they still get it. 75% of kids between the ages of 13 and 17 call themselves Christians, and 40% of them are in church weekly. Y'all, 40% of adults are not making it weekly. 50% of you are making it once a month. That's what we call active church participation now, and yet 40% of teenagers are in a faith community weekly. They get it, and yet somehow they get to about the age of 17 or 18 or 19, and they go, and it's not because they didn't meet Jesus. Because 33% of them who leave did. 
It's because the vision of the kingdom of God that we gave them was not deep enough and not rich enough to sustain that faith when life got hard. I think we're better than that, church. Aren't we? This is why we set out to raise a generation of faith because we know that there are small things that make a huge difference in whether or not that faith survives 18 and 19 and 20. We know that it is as simple as making sure that they are really fluent in the hope they have in Jesus Christ. We know that a, a huge difference is made by just setting high expectations for who we are and who they will be. We know that a difference is made by calling them to a life beyond themselves, by saying very gently, your world is not about you because you serve a savior who sacrificed for others. And so as his disciple, you sacrifice for others. We know that a huge difference is made when we can name the places that God is active in our life and we can tell those stories. And I know I do this big buildup sometimes and then I put those four up there and I can almost feel some of us go, oh, really? That's it? That's what you got? Those four things? We're gonna set expectations, we're gonna do calling, we're gonna be fluent in the faith, we're gonna tell God's stories? Yes. They are small, tiny things. But have you ever tried to turn a big boat or a big truck? How do you turn a big ship? You do it by small, tiny degrees. You can't just will it a 180 in a moment. It is bit by bit by bit that it is moved. And I can tell you, our culture got to this place bit by bit by bit, and the only way it's gonna be turned around is by the small, manageable things that we can each do every day. It is a big vision to seek the kingdom of God, but it has little parts. And the little parts are what's most important. And we've seen changes wrought as we have talked about these four things, as we have made an effort to invest not only in our children and in our youth, but in the parents and the grandparents and the aunts and the uncles who show them what faith is. We have seen 21 professions of faith in the last three years. This year we had our largest confirmation class. I did five years because it was convenient, but it's actually like seven when you do the math. We've seen an increase in what we would call upper and mid-range giving, so that people who give between $25 and $50, $50 and $100, and $100 and $200 a week. Remember I said generosity can be a pulse check on your spiritual life, and we see that pulse getting stronger. We have seen increased participation in leadership, in Sunday school, with youth and children. Y'all, a few weeks ago, we did Laity Sunday, right? Good Sunday, yes? We had a good time. This is the interactive portion. <laughs> I remember trying to do that three years ago. 
And I made phone call after phone call after phone call, and I couldn't find people who were willing to get behind a mic and talk about Jesus. Do you know how many phone calls I made this year? Four, I made four, Lonnie had to be absent, I'm sorry. But yeah, somebody said three, I, I, made, I made three, and they all said yes, and they did an amazing job. That couldn't happen three years ago. It seems like small things and it seems like small victories, but they're starting to stack up. They are starting to form stronger disciples. They are starting to speak to a deeper, richer understanding of who we are as God's people. All of these things are important in crafting the kind of deep, rich faith that speaks out to a culture that no longer thinks it needs the church. But churches who are really beating the curve, they have one other piece beyond these four. Oh, those are really tiny. It's really tiny print, which basically boils down to this. Churches who are beating the curve make disciples. In fact, they, they, do, they do two sides of making disciples. They make new disciples, and they care for the disciples that they have, and they do it in that order. It's a funny thing. Churches who are really good at making new disciples figure out how to take care of them well. And churches who only focus on caring for the disciples they have struggle to make new disciples. I'm sure somewhere there's great data on why that is, but all I know is that it is. Churches who are beating the curve in this culture make new disciples, and they care for the disciples they have. But they never lose sight of this. The words of Jesus. Remember I said our scriptures are bookends. The last thing he gave to his disciples before he ascended. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day, even until the end of the present age. It is our great commission. It is in many ways the very definition of what it is to be church, to be disciple, to be the kind of people who point others to Jesus Christ, who welcome them in, who speak about their hope in a way that teaches a lifetime of faith and obedience, not out of duty, but out of joy. We need to be the kind of people whose faith doesn't just exist for an hour here on Sunday morning or in small group as good as those are, or even just in the prescribed service projects that we put together for you. We need to be the kind of people who are about the work of making disciple beyond these walls every minute of every day because we are the kind of people who believe that when disciples are made, the world is changed. We are the kind of people who know that where there are disciples of Jesus Christ, the hungry get fed. We're the kind of people who know where there are disciples of Jesus Christ, those who are sick or grieving get comfort. 
We know where there are disciples of Jesus Christ, those who are in prison are visited and cared for. We know that where there is prayer, where there is fasting, where there is attendance to the word of the Lord, great and powerful things happen. Yes, church, we are those people? Yes. Oh, are we those people? Church, do you believe that where disciples are made, the world is transformed? Do you believe that is part of your calling? We say it as helping people take the next step in their faith journey with Jesus Christ. The big United Methodist Church says to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. We talk about raising a generation in faith, but all of it comes down to that simple truth that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom from all kinds of bondage, and we are called to be the people who bring the Spirit with us wherever we go. We are called to be the people who attend to the first step in other people's lives, not just so our attendance numbers go up, not just so the lights turn on, but because we believe their life will be different, will be better for faith in Christ. And we believe that when that one is different, and that one is different, and that one is different, the ship turns by ever small degrees. We are called to be disciples who make disciples because we are called to seek the kingdom of God. That is my hope and prayer for this church over the coming year. That we would be the kind of people who are ready and willing to embrace a faith that goes far beyond this place and this property that we would welcome strangers into our midst, that we would engage in the kind of deep relational missions that mean we know people who look like us and people who don't look like us, that we can speak a word of hope from Jesus Christ because we know it in our hearts and because we know their story. My prayer is that we would take disciple-making seriously, not just because your pastor said it, but because you are excited about your next step and about seeing somebody's life changed because they took their first step. I look at these saints here present with us, and I am reminded how many stories there are of the lives that they touched for Jesus Christ, and how many more stories there will be in front of me. You were asked this week what your hope for your church family was. I hope you prayed over that. I hope it is a, a vision, a hope that is big enough and worthy enough for giving your life to. We asked that question of some of our youth. Would you like to hear what they had to say? All right, I'm gonna, Jake's gonna do some wizardry here so that we can hear from our youth about their hope for Chapelwood in the coming year.
this church uh, in the future, I hope that we get to meet more of the adults in the congregation by them coming and volunteering for our youth group. I hope our music program continues to grow. I hope that we can have extra hours on Sundays for our youth group. I really hope we go back to Belize. It was really fun and really great. And it was I hope that we can get more people to come into the youth group. I hope we continue to serve in the community. I hope we live happily together. I hope that we get to meet more of the adults. I hope we get to spend more time at church. I hope that we continue to serve in the community. I hope that we live happily together. There's some pretty big hopes there. Some pretty big dreams. And I think that they are pretty worthwhile. You've gotten a heart card every week. We have asked you what you love. We have asked you who helped you be a disciple. We have asked you what you hope and what you dream. And, and I hope that you've heard this morning a little bit about my hope for this coming year. You're gonna get a different kind of card this week. You're gonna get a pamphlet, and it's gonna say estimate of giving on the front. And when you get it, I don't want you to think of it as a commitment card or a bank balance or a promise that you make to the church to keep the lights turned on. Please, for the love of God, do not give yourself to keeping the lights turned on. That estimate of giving is really a question. It is, what are you willing to give in your time, in your energy, in what God has given to you to see that disciples are made in the coming year? It is a question that says, is this work, is the ministry of Jesus Christ that is happening in this place, is it a goal, a vision worthy of you giving your life to? because we are all gonna give our life to something. Don't let it be potato chips or plastic. Don't let it be turning the lights on. And I know that there's some instincts to give it to great things like your kids, but I promise you what your kids really need is to see you give your life away to somebody else because that's the only way they learn to give their life away to somebody else. When you get that estimate of giving card this week, I invite you to go to deep prayer, to have a conversation with Jesus about how you are called to make disciples in the next year, and about what portion of your gifts you are willing to put forward to see that work continue. And the next week, I invite you to, to bring them, to come and to make that public declaration not public like we're gonna read them, I promise. Nobody like have a aneurysm right now. But public <laughs> in that you come and you lay them on the altar as the tithe to God that they are. That you say, yes, I am with you. I am ready to be the kind of disciple that makes disciples and to see the world transformed. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
Amen.